Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. My guest today has been lauded as the most lethal, screamingly funny truth-teller of our time. Guardian columnist Marina Hyde has made her name as the master of the takedown. Through the political shitstorm of recent years, she has taken a scalpel laced with laughing gas to the establishment and made us weep in a good way, usually, in the face of the coming apocalypse, and earned two Political Commentator of the Year awards. Now those columns have been turned into a book. What just happened? A rampage through the heroes, villains, chancers, tossers and shysters that have made the last decade what it is. Like all of Hyde's writing, it's howlingly funny and terrifyingly true. You know, I'm an optimist. You may not get it from the writing. (laughs) Given my subject matter, I'm surprisingly, I'm quite an optimist. In my personal life, anyway. Marina joined me to talk about lucking into journalism, thriving, not surviving, in male-dominated environments, and why the pram in the hall turned out to be her superpower. She also told me why she wishes she'd taken more risks why white wine is her nemesis, and why she'll be forever grateful to the menopause movement. This episode was recorded before the UK political scene got even more chaotic than normal. I've got to say, interviewing journalists is a nightmare anyway, because they're like the worst possible people to interview. But you, you're like, you're like, um, have you watched all the Harry Potter films? I have watched all the Harry Potter films. So you know in the Sirius Black one, Prisoner of Azkaban, Dean or Seamus says... He's like smoke. He like slips through your fingers. <laughs> and that's what you're like, because you're all over the internet. Your writing is all over the internet. But try to find out anything about you. And it's like, you like smoke. You just well, I slip mean, through our fingers. <laughs> I'm sort of quite old fashioned. I really, I'm generally just think, 
I am a writer and that is that. So I tend to just do my writing and put that out there and then not do any kind of, I, I don't really have any interest in being a sort of pundit or anything like that. You know, I mean, I don't mind writing things. I think, you know, sort of journalists building their brands has in some ways been responsible for many, many ills that we, we're now reaping the benefit of. Oh, God, don't even. Columnists are actually the biggest offenders. They're the worst. We elected one of those to run the country. Ultimately, we elected not just a newspaper journalist, like the worst people. It seemed like they've done their own industry. Now we've elected one of those to run the country, but but a newspaper columnist. So really the very worst type you <laughs> go for. So, I mean, we've deserved everything we haven't got. Yeah, totally, totally. But how have you managed to dodge that? Because particularly with female columnists, there's a real, I mean, it seems to be like an onus to kind of just like strip every bit of your soul bare onto well, the page. I mean, you haven't done any of that at I've all. I've been really quite, I tell you what, I've been quite fortunate because I don't like doing that. I'm really private and I don't really like doing that at all. I've, I've never been on Facebook. I've never been on Instagram or anything like that. A while ago, there was a real sort of vogue for those articles in which people, you know, women particularly, kind of put all their pain out there or all their this, you know, and really, or just write about their lives in a way, which, by the way, I, you know, love to read brilliant people writing about their lives. Um, although I wouldn't leave doing that till you're a bit older, it would be one of my pieces of advice. But I was rather fortunate this sort of big political story came on and then everyone became obsessed with politics and I was able to you know make something of things but but without having to do that and I have really appreciated that I don't really I occasionally very occasionally I'll um, write about things that have either happened to me or you know my family or something like that but I keep it sort of I try and keep it pretty rare really it's not really my cup of tea I've got to say it might be when I'm older. So how is book publicity going down then? <laughs> For the woman who doesn't like talking about herself. No, I mean, I hope it will be all right. I mean, I really <laughs> like, I tell you what, I really like meeting, um, I really like doing live things and I really like meeting um, people. I always find it completely bizarre that anybody reads my articles, completely bizarre. And when they say it, I think it's just so odd. But meeting them and getting to sort of commiserate to, to, together <laughs> <laughs> with the sort of chaos of the last few years, I find really fun. And I'm really looking forward to that, to go out and sort of see people and do that side of things. Your columns, the internet goes mad every single week or twice a week when you put your columns out. And, you know, your book is covered with plaudits and like, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has described you as like lethal, screamingly funny truth teller of our time. Most lethal. And so I want to talk about how you got there, because did you always want to be a journalist? Do you come from a family no, journalist? I was, is it like completely by accident that I became a journalist. Um, I tell you what I did. I worked for a, um, a secretarial temping agency for quite a long time after I left university. Although I actually wasn't quick enough to be a secretary, I had to be a receptionist because my typing speed wasn't quick enough. And I ended up getting sent to a lot of banks, which I, you know, I didn't really like places in the city. You know, I, I really didn't like it very much. And I remember one day I got the call from them. They had two jobs. Either I could do three months at this place I'd already worked, this bank, which I really hated. But when you're a temp, if you're given three months work, yeah. you've got to sort of take it. Or I could have done three days answering the phone on the bizarre desk on The Sun, which was the showbiz desk. And I remember just thinking, I'm making such a stupid decision here, but I just don't think I can possibly go back. And then they actually needed me for a bit longer. And it was just hilarious. It was brilliant fun. It was completely crazy. It was sort of like the late 90s. 
you know, celebrities would ring you up and tell you who they were in bed with other celebrities at the time. It was absolutely mad. You sort of realised that most of the people who were in the papers at that time sort of wanted to be in the paper. Yeah, put themselves there, yeah, literally. Yeah. I, you know, and it was really seeing behind the curtain. And also it was just so funny. And I, I sort of loved showbiz. I thought it was all great fun. And so I ended up carrying on and I was their secretary for a while. And then gradually I got a job like being a pitch researcher and things like that. But I, I hadn't really planned it at all. It's really weird when you look back because now it, I don't know what it seems to you, but it seems to me sort of quite obvious that it was something that would have suited me. But I wouldn't have had the confidence, I don't think, to think I could have done it at all, at all. In fact, I know I wouldn't have. So just sort of accidentally starting at that level and then becoming someone who ended up writing was a good way for me to do it. And actually quite a lot of things that I've done in my life, I'm now doing more more TV writing and things like that, but it's all come from, it's come later on and it's it's come sort of gradually. And and I sometimes think, oh, why didn't I do this before? But the answer is really that I wouldn't have had the confidence to to do that. Even though I seem very confident to lots of people, um, you know, my writing seems confident. I think that, you know, I sound like a slow ranger, that sounds confident. There's lots of things that you sort of come across as, but I wouldn't have been remotely professional or even to say out loud, I'd like to be a journalist. I think I would have just felt like I would have shriveled a bit. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I started exactly the same way, like learned to type, worked for a temp agency, worked at an architect for a bit, was bored out of my skull, said I would just didn't want to go back, even though they wanted me to keep going back. Mm. And I thought that's completely stupid. Um, and then, although somewhat less glamorously, I then went to do maternity cover for the editor of Chat Magazine, oh, cool. PA. Yeah. And then, and the same kind of thing, just stayed there for a bit. And they, for some reason, let me do some writing, which has just struck me as completely mad at the time. Because yeah. I had actually failed to get into journalism college. So I was a reject. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd, so you'd actually tried to do it that way. You see, yes. I remember somebody at The Sun saying to me, do your parents know Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> What? Oh, well, is that because you're posh? Sorry, to just put that straight out there. But you know, we don't. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. No, we don't know. Rupert Murdoch, <laughs> not socially. And they thought that's the only way you got there. They also knew that I didn't because they could see how I'd come. I'd literally just come from the temping agency. It was just sort of great fun and it was a kind of riot. And I learned a lot um, doing those sorts of things. And then you sort of learn a lot that way. It's a good way in. I think I'm, I don't know about all these graduate trainee schemes. So you kind of go in as a straight away as someone who. Yeah, there's this, I've always felt, I don't know whether you felt this, but I always felt like slightly looked down on by the people who had done like the proper training. Oh, like yes, I wasn't proper. Of course, always, always. The sort of narcissism of small differences, isn't it? They have to sort of, people will always look down on you or try and make you seem like just different or sort of, as I say, people will say, do your parents know Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have to say nobody ever said that to me. But... <laughs> Can you it? No, God, no. <laughs> So you, they kept you on and then you did some picture research and stuff. So how did you get a a writing break? Well, they had a sort of listings magazine that was for London. And I think I started doing like tiny little things like bar reviews uh, for that. And just a a tiny bit up from listings. They were tiny little paragraphs. And then it was, that's how it started. And then I, at The Guardian, I started, when I came to Guardian, I worked on the diary column, which I was an obsessive fan of. And and the person who wrote it was a guy called Matthew Norman, who was so funny. And he's sort of a great friend of mine. And he, I mean, he was, he was so irreverent and so rude about people. 
um, in politics, really. And he'd have these returning characters. And in a way, we didn't really have, he said, no, no, we don't have anything so ridiculous as stories. You know, we have, <laughs> we have characters and we bring them back. You know, if, when we've got a quiet day, we just ring up one of our characters and see if they'll say something ridiculous to us down the phone, you know, and we would get MPs to try and, you know, offer them the chance to sit intelligence tests against chimps. We discovered there was this amazing chimp in this zoo somewhere. And I remember ringing Archie Hamilton, who was an incredibly stupid Tory MP at the time, and maybe one of the stupidest, which was a really tough field. And the thing is, I think because I was such a sort of slain ranger, they would never quite realise what was happening and too late. So we'd say, oh, we've got, you know, Archie, we've um, we found there's an amazing chimp in a, in a zoo in Cincinnati or wherever it was. Oh, yes, very good. Yeah, you know, very intelligent, but really, really. We just wondered, would, would you sit an intelligence test against against the chimp or do you not feel that you could you could beat the chimp and then there's <laughs> really long silence thing i'm sorry i didn't quite understand what's being suggested <laughs> we just did all these sort of crazy calls but that kind of set in my mind the idea that i don't know what people really like to some extent even when they're awful are characters that come back again so it's that sort of semi kind of it's not totally fictional some of the favorite letters i get are from people in america who say i don't know who any of the people in your column are but i really enjoy it <laughs> i just like the idea that this like hump this little interconnected world that they have no idea who any of the people are but it kind of works as a as a, a soap opera or a drama or something. And I saw the announcement, I think it was yesterday, wasn't it, that you're doing um, writing and exec producing with Armando Iannucci and Sam Mendes. Was that yesterday? Yes. Or am I just yeah, I think that might have come out. Yes, yeah, that, this is fun. Yes, I've been I've been doing a few things like that. And I um, worked on Armando's other show that he's got with HBO called Avenue 5, which is sort of a set in space. Um, but this is a sort of new thing. And anyway, it's quite new. We'll have to see how that, how it goes. But it's super exciting and fun. Because when I first saw that, I thought, oh, that's a big leap, actually, for you from being a political commentator to effectively fiction. But at, listening to you describe the way you approach the column, it's kind of not, really, because yes. it's just recurring characters. Yes, in a way it has been. And actually, that, that approach first started for me. The column that I really found my voice on was one called Lost in Showbiz, which, I mean, really quite a long time ago now, probably in 2005, I started in The Guardian. We never They never really covered showbiz. I think they sort of thought they were a bit sort of grand to do it and then Adam Rossborough just said to me oh god I mean I feel like we're going to be like the times refusing to cover rock and roll in the in the mm. or whatever because you know apart from like Islamist fundamentalism celebrities were really the main story of the 2000s all the Paris Hiltons and this and that it was a sort of explosion in the culture which was really kind of immoral and awful at times when you look at what happened to Britney Spears and whatever but it was a really kind of fun time to be writing about celebrities but at that time I, I sort of developed a voice for that column that worked and I think that has definitely gone on to that sort of modulated, but it, it did work for the politics, which only came together really for me after Brexit at the time of the vote, I think. And in the middle of that, you had a sports column. Oh, yeah. So they were all I've really disparate. For many, many years, for many, many, many years, I've written a sports column. Um, but I stopped about two years ago, which I really miss. And I used to go to the World Cup and the, you know, Olympics and the Ryder Cup and all those things. I, I really, I love doing that. But um, I, something had to give, but I, I miss it. Where did that come from? You know, how did you get into that? Because, you know, sports writing, certainly at that point, it's not much better now, but certainly at that point, it was very male. Oh, my God, completely. It was so, yeah, completely. It was, I mean, really terrible things were said to me by including my own colleagues. I mean, it was kind of hilarious but I mean I didn't really care that was like what very, oh I mean I'm I mean really not on a family show let's put it that way it's not family you're fine <laughs> <laughs> but I used to feel that that was another thing that 
um, was helpful to me, which was that I always felt like really quite outsidery there and that I could never properly fit in and be the same. Um, and a lot of people made it clear that I wasn't, couldn't be the same as the guys on that particular, on the sports store doing those things. And so in, that was great in a way because it's quite freeing. It's very liberating. And you think, right, I don't have to be the same as you. I'll just do it in my own way. So it sort of forces you to find a voice. In other things, in maybe in political writing before Brexit, I think I imitated other people's voices or it was just too sort of conventional in some ways. Whereas the times where I thought I can't be the same or I'm just going to do this totally differently have always worked better. At what point do you think you got that confidence? The politics column really came together. It was bizarre. It sort of just came together around the time of Brexit. And I was off all my other columns and just writing about the referendum as it was happening. And then this kind of event that was unexpected for many happened, though not unexpected for everyone, clearly, and was upsetting for many, though not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And somehow it just, it was a kind of feverish time. It was like a sort of mad midsummer night's dream, you know, and it, it, it really was almost a solstice, wasn't it? And it all came together and I just suddenly thought, oh, I see, this is how I can do this. I can, I think people kind of don't like politics in lots of ways, but they do like, I don't know, movies or Taylor Swift songs or I don't know football or whatever it is so I quite like talking about politics through the prism of those things rather than in a way the quite conventional way and I'm not trying to make myself sound like some complete iconoclast because I'm not but actually politics is written about in quite a conventional way and there'll always be some guy telling you what happened in a back room in 1983 and why this is quite similar to that and I just thought I mean it's quite like blank space with Taylor Swift isn't it and then (laughs) you know I prefer to I've always been someone who thinks associatively in that way and thinks oh this is a bit like that scene in a movie or this is a bit like you're often from what you would call low culture I suppose um and so I really I quite enjoyed looking at politics through that prism and I think it makes it more accessible at a time when people suddenly wanted a huge amount of access to talking and thinking about politics because we were about to get on the roller coaster which we're now still on (laughs) we just feels like we're we're never gonna get off it's it's just like crazy i mean do you think you would be marina hyde if there hadn't been that kind of 18 obviously be marina hyde you know what i mean of that 18 months where tories won the election then was trump next and then brexit or was it then brexit and then it was trump it was the well it was the scottish referendum then it was the tories win in um, 2015 um, then it was the referendum in um, 2016 and Trump in November 2016. Yeah. But I remember people saying to me, oh, well, what would you write about in a year when it was all over? And I thought, gosh, I even now do not feel like this will be over in a year, which, as it's only proved, it's very hard to see how we get back to something less chaotic and what still feels quite norm-defying, even though I suppose it's becoming a norm. It feels like it is. It feels like, well, if you look at what's happening in the States, it feels certainly like the media machine and the social media machine. It's missing the madness. It wants the madness back. It wants the madness back. Yeah, it's just, I I definitely think everyone is a sort of dopamine addict. It's very, very difficult to understand at all. And it's quite clear that the people who run the platforms don't even understand what it's done to our politics, our lives or everything. But I it's very hard to see a way back, um, I must say, which I think is quite troubling. You know, in the old days, you could go weeks without thinking about politics. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, weeks. And... It's quite hard to explain to my children who have just sort of think it's normal, you know, that it didn't used to be like this. I mean, really. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's like waves of stuff crash over you and it's gone and it's next and next and next. Oh. And it's like... It's the yeah. speed of it. 
they're sort of four new cycles a day. It's something that would have taken weeks to play out or we would have dined out on as writers for a week or two weeks. Now may not even make your sketch of the day because so much ends up happening. And they're also all out there. You know, you look at someone like Nadine Doris, you know, she's out, you can see her. It's like the Wild West. They're saying what they think. They're on their Twitter accounts. They're freelancing, making up policy, abusing people. I mean, it's it's a sort of Wild West again. It's the Trump playbook, isn't it? Yeah. They're all using the Trump playbook. I mean, politics is, I mean, sport's a real boys club. Politics, or certainly was. I mean, let's kind of just give them a bit of credit for improvement. Um, not much, but a bit. <laughs> and, and, and politics too. It's interesting that you thri- you've really thrived in both those environments. Yes, it is. I don't know. I read these surveys of all these things where men can't name any books by women they want to read or whatever. Yeah. I'm pleased that it seems to have cross-gender appeal. <laughs> Yeah, they kind of almost haven't noticed that you're a girl, maybe. Well, I, I, yeah, maybe. Although I try not to sort of, you know, I often, quite often will write about sort of, I don't know, women. Yeah, it's not relevant. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're not that far away from the days where women columnists were sort of totally siloed and they would be like a, a women's columnist, which is still in my, certainly in my memory of what you, you know, you might call Fleet Street. Definitely. Oh, God, yeah, the women's pages. Yeah, they were and all those, a long yeah, time. whereas it is definitely less like that. And, and you hear less of the kind of comments about it than you used to, definitely, which is good. But, I mean, there's plenty more to do. Were you always a funny kid? Not funny weird, funny haha. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always like... Or both, jokes. maybe. I always liked telling jokes. I always thought that was quite pretty aspirational, yeah. I used to do sort of stand-up and things much really when I was, and I did lots of comedy at university when I was in those years, um, and I really enjoyed doing that, but it is quite, I thought I wouldn't carry on. And again, that was a, a sort of confidence thing. You know, I remember really, it was quite sexist doing comedy at university, I've got to say, very sexist really in some ways. Um, and, you know, I was constantly being told to be the wife in a sketch or this or that. Yeah, I don't know, it, it was really quite old-fashioned at times, um, and I'm not sure that the people who did it would even realise, and if I said it to them now, would realise they had been like that. But I'm afraid they were a little. <laughs> not all of them, some, some. It wouldn't have dawned on them, they wouldn't have noticed. No, but I mean, really, until recently, I was hearing people saying, oh, we've got a women's sitcom on channel, mm-hmm. or whatever, What I, you know, I'm just plucking a network name out of the air there, but they would feel like they had that. And now suddenly it's a, like a great explosion of possibility for women writers, which is fantastic. And you can see what amazing things they've done and how different and how diverse a women's thing is. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's just, you know, something that Michaela Cole does is totally different from something that Phoebe Waterbridge does or whatever. But the amount of and the quality of it is extraordinary. And you just feel like, wow, and People really didn't utilise that for a very, very long time. It feels like it's probably literally not even the last five years, yeah, maybe yeah. even less than right. that. I mean, I, I suppose it is probably five years, but it's just about. I mean, definitely, I think about the fundraising experience, the Endless, and a girl I know who's got a, runs a site called Black Ballad, which is a... Yeah. Uh, 30-something black women. She was raising funds. When I was raising funds, it was constantly, oh, there is a women's digital platform. There is a black women's digital platform. We don't need any more. And the number of screenwriters I know and other writers who've just said, yeah, we've been told, we've got 
a commercial female, whatever. Yeah. You know, we've got a thing about women in their 40s. That's it. That's that box ticked. Which, as we can see over the last five years, was a real commercial cock-up. Totally. Um, so moving into telly, was that a, a kind of a, okay, this is, was that intentional? Was that a, what's yeah, coming I, next I, I in my life, you know? Yeah, I've got a few things sort of in development with various people, with HBO and with uh, elsewhere. And yes, again, I wouldn't have had the confidence earlier on, but then I, I just, I ended up thinking, okay, well, I will try this. And actually, I'll tell you what really made me, what really made a difference for me. Everything good I've done, I think, has been after I've had children, which I would not have believed. I had my daughter, who was my third child in 2014. I had them all, I had three in three and a half years. But everything good I did after has come after that. And I tell you why, I became, two reasons. I became way more efficient because I was really trying to finish it early so I could be with them. And I became therefore much, much more focused and you end up spending less time, which actually suits the modern deadlines where they want everything for the web much earlier. But you also become, instead of, you know, messing about and doing this or that, I became far more focused and my writing improved so much, I, in my view, um, because of that. Um, funnily enough, I met a woman, head of a woman production company, a TV production company a few years ago. And she said, oh, I only hire women who are pregnant or who have children because they're just so efficient. And someone told me that Natalie Massonet had said that as well, that um, Metaporto or whatever, because she just felt that there was something. So there was that element of it. I became much more efficient and, and strangely, in less time, was able to produce better work. Um, and the other thing was that I became much more of a risk taker. A lot of growing old or, or growing older is becoming less self-absorbed than you were when you had a lot more time to be more self-absorbed when you were younger. And coming out of that self-absorption actually makes has made me, I don't know if it works the same for everyone, but it certainly made me much more of a risk taker. I felt, okay, well, these children are the most important things in the world, so it really doesn't matter if I fall flat on my face writing something for television or not. You know, I, I'm going to take this risk because in a way the pressure was, I don't want to say the pressure was off, I don't mean it like that. I just mean I felt that risk was just something I could deal with in that sense, a professional risk. And I, I you know, that's odd, isn't it? I, I would never have, I wouldn't have figured that before, not for a minute. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's completely contrary to what society tells us yeah. is going to happen, but it's the picture that comes out literally every time I speak to I know, someone. because I've heard, I know. <laughs> Every single time. It's like certainly was the case for me. And at that point when we're meant to be like shuffling off, I mean, and before that kind of like 40 plus, we're meant to be, you know, doing kids stuff and then shuffling off and I don't know, knitting or whatever. And literally everybody I speak to says, you know, I feel like I've got my second wing coming. I want to do something else. I want to, I've got another thing in me and I'm just going to take a risk and find out what that is. And the other thing was that I definitely have felt doing, moving, doing more television stuff or whatever is that I feel scared again and that, and I don't know what I'm doing lots of the time. And that is, despite being very tired, I, you know, because I have to, to manage everything, I have to get up stupidly early, um, which I like, but despite being very tired, it is energizing and it is rejuvenating to feel scared out of your comfort zone so this is in my 40s I will definitely try and find something in my mid 50s that I don't know try and do something totally different again not leave everything else behind but try and add something like that because I think that that kind of disruption and the feeling of oh my god I have no clue what I'm doing here is very rejuvenating and energizing and I I really I'm surprised that I like it and I think it's healthy. I think it totally is. Somebody once said to me about exhilaration and being the flip side of terror or terror being the flip side of exhilaration. And I really do think there's something in that, that kind of, you know, if you're thinking, oh, oh, that person I've got to interview is really scary or that thing I've got to learn to do, I don't know how to do that. Making a massive assumption, you normally write sitting in front of the telly or on your own. Yeah. So how is like a writer's room? That must be a bit frightening. It's totally different. And also I write and I, you know, I put the handbrake on at a thousand words and I'm so used to doing it. Whereas, you know, if you're writing something for television, you may write 30 drafts of one script and it comes back and you're working on the same thing again and again and again you'll work you know it's a totally different thing I mean it's not for everybody and I think that perhaps some journalists would find it like oh my god I can't handle this I can't keep going over the same thing and round in circles but it's just a totally different process and it uses a different bit of your brain in a way so I've quite liked doing things that are not factual as it were well, I've always liked the sort of creative bit of column writing the most in a way, trying to think of the jokes or whatever. Um, and I find them very, that doing that very cathartic, particularly over the last few years, I feel like, you know, whereas other people had unresolved news issues, I was able to sort of work through them <laughs> on, on a twice weekly basis, which is actually, there's a lot to be said for writing things down. Do you ever want to stop watching the news? Do you ever just want to go, just fucking turn it off? I can't take any more. I've just been away and I didn't bother that much with it. I mean, I don't mind it. You know, I don't mind that much. I, don't, I You know, I, I was very pleased to miss a huge number of leadership debates, which I understand will still be going on for another four <sighs> weeks. So I guess I'll catch some of those. <laughs> yeah. But next time I see you, we'll know, we will we'll know, know what the future holds. We'll for us. New, we will have a new prime minister, Sam. Neither option is making my heart sing, so... No, you know. <laughs> no they're making our hearts howl and scream. 
So one of the very few personal things I was able to find out about you is that you've been married for 23 years, haven't you? Can you believe it? Not a really long time, isn't it? I know, it's hilarious. We we were saying the other day that we're going to have our silver wedding. Um, So that will be in 2024. Isn't that funny? Yeah, we were lucky. We've gone on together and so it makes it rather easier. And he's very supportive of all of my things and helpful and the person I like talking to the most in the whole world. So that's quite lucky. There's that old cliche, isn't there, about behind every successful man, there's a successful woman. But the more people I talk to who are, I mean, there's a whole load of women who are like, just, I can't wait to dump him or I have dumped him <laughs> or I can't stand the prospect of being with him for the rest of my life. But the people I know who are with long-term partners all say that. They all say that they feel like behind them, there's that man, yeah, that long-term partner. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, funnily enough, it was even more so in the in the in the pandemic. I really felt that because he's normally in an office, and so because I work at home, I always take the children to the dentist or the this or the that because I'm not going to prove some point, make him come all the way back from the BBC to come and do this job. So I do it. But it was just so great. It's like, oh, I see you're at the kitchen table. So well, you'll be taking them to the whatever one of three public services were still open at the time. But you know, it was it was nice. I really liked it, um, all being together. So we were lucky. And also our children are at the age where um, they want to spend 24 hours a day with you anyway. So that was, we were very fortunate. I had no complaints. So what are they, about 8 to 12? They're um, 11, uh, 9 and 8 at the moment. Yeah, so they Yeah, so... It, they still like you. Yeah, yeah, it's, going, it's, it's slipping away. <laughs> it's slipping away every day. So. <laughs> Um, my brain went, when you start talking about one of the three public services that were still open, my brain immediately flipped, which is just exactly how I think, to the time I had to go for a smear test. And it was practically the only thing you could do was go for a smear test yeah. or go to for a once weekly supermarket shop. You really and then, appreciated the little, like, the little outing. You smear test, I mean, it's something to do, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I got to leave the house. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, on that note... What do you make of the recent the menopause movement? Oh, it's jolly good, isn't it, that everyone's on about it? I think it's good. I just wondered what Marina oh, Hyde might make of it. It's super that everyone, because otherwise people just don't tell you about these things. And also, I mean, really, it seems strange that lots of people of, I don't know, my mother's generation didn't really talk about these things, even though in a way they should have, because they were children of that kind of consciousness raising era of feminism where people women realized that talking about all these experiences was actually very helpful and dragged you on a lot quicker than if you if you didn't and I fully believe that none of these things would be anything like the problems if men had had Mm. to go through them um so I'm I I love yes I love all these people talking about it or I I mean I like bookmark all these pages and think I must read that you know I think it's great and people don't know unless you tell them that I was reading about you know all this Sorry, I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not on it yet. But you know when they say about all the, I don't know, the synthetic hormones and the this hormones and the bio, whatever, this is really great. This is information that you might not otherwise get. Oh, yeah, totally. And you have to really, really, well, you used to have to really dig around for it yeah, as well. I want Davina to tell me that. Thank you, Davina, <laughs> whoever it is, just tell me. So where are you at with yours? I don't, I haven't got it yet. I'm fortunate that, you know, I do feel quite a lot of rage, but apparently it's unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could be just like rage, rage, as opposed to could be either. Could be. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, could have more coming. Maybe I don't. I'm not aware of being even in the peri, but maybe you know. Of course, like all of these things, I always think, well, 
maybe I just, you know, maybe I'll just go through and it won't, nothing will happen. You know, like you, I always really want to think, maybe I won't be hungover after I've drunk five glasses of wine. Yeah. <laughs> but you will be. But you oh, will you be. will. Yeah. Oh, that is one thing, actually, the, the hangovers. Oh, my God. I mean, like the, level. the body is so weak. So weak. I, you know, in, in principle, I love all these things, but you really have to sort of, God, I mean, yes, all of those things have been real eye-opener. A man who I love um, told me, a funny man, told me, they said, oh, no, no, your 40s are a nightmare for drinking, but your 50s will be amazing again. And I just was like, someone said to me, was he in the pub when he said that to you? <laughs> that is that is totally random. Yeah. Totally random. Okay, I'm here that not, but yeah. No, white wine, forget it. Yeah, I know. Kiss goodbye to white wine, well, frankly. There was a point in the... Okay, but when I was much younger and on G2, I, we used to have the features conference at The Guardian every week. And all of us girls, we were young. I mean, you know, I don't know. We were definitely like in our very early 30s, about 30 or something like that, or even... We would be obsessed with like, no, no, no. What is it about white wine that sends you absolutely mental? Like if I have... Two glasses of red wine, I'll sip them, it'll be where three, you know, two glasses of white wine, I could potentially wake up in Rio. It's I've put me onto a plane. So we were obsessed with trying to find out research. What is the difference? We spent ages on this and like proper science correspondence went to yeah. but apparently there is nothing. But women know the lady petrol at sentimental. There must be something. There must be something chemical. But you know, we spent a lot there of time looking into it. Well, I personally didn't because I'm terrible at this sort of statistics stuff. But science people, the science bit, spent a lot of time looking into this, and they came up with nothing, Sam. But I know it just hasn't been discovered yet. But it's out there. I wonder if it's got something to do with estrogen. Yeah, there's something. I think what lots of women who've had long COVID have said to me that there's something to do with your adrenals. The women I know who've had really bad long COVID, as in like sometimes they could only manage 25 steps in a day and they were so active and fit beforehand, say that they now drink tequila, soda and fresh lime juice and it's their drink. Oh, I hadn't thought about tequila. Yeah, apparently, apparently tequila, soda and fresh lime juice like circumvents a lot of the things that can go wrong. Yeah, I haven't been able to drink white wine since I've had since I had long COVID. No. Yeah, it's like not the worst, but I had for eight or nine months. Yeah, and I, it's, you said you but, were very tough, yeah. But white wine, forget it. Yeah. And white spirit white spirits are okay. Yeah, apparently but, it's adrenals. I don't even know what an adrenal is, but might oh, be. I'll I'll go away and Google that in yeah. a minute. We both will. <laughs> I get a thing sometimes. So I get a mixture of people who say, like people who want to talk about menopause and like, yeah, it's really good to talk about menopause. And then I get the people occasionally, not loads, much less them who are like, you know, can you just shut the fuck up, basically, talking about this? I don't want to, you know, A, sometimes it's younger women saying you're scaring me, stop. Whereas I kind of think information is power. Yeah. But I do also get some women um, say that I am, like, to get a successful woman on a podcast and ask her about menopause is just, like, to belittle her. What do you think? Oh, God, I don't feel remotely belittled. No, I don't care. I like talking about it. It's interesting. I know I don't mind about that. God, life's too short. No, I'm, no, hats off to all the women doing something about it. No, I don't, I mean, I don't have much to offer on it, but I'm I'm (laughs) interested. No, I definitely don't think it's a subject that shouldn't be talked about. I've seen where that's got us. (laughs) You're, um... You're one of three sisters, aren't you? Are yeah. Where Where are you in the sister pecking I'm the eldest. I don't know if it's all shot you to learn. I'm my sisters, are my best friends. They are marvelous. Um, I've got one who is um, 
like about three and a half years younger than me and then one who's 18 months younger than her and we are the best of friends and they're just absolutely wonderful I they're they're the greatest I don't know what to do without them have you always been like close right since yeah, we little always got on super well we lived in the countryside there wasn't a whole lot to do um so we always just got on with it and played together um we went uh, we went to boarding school actually which we absolutely loved and are the poster children for even though many people obviously think it's a <laughs> but we loved it and we went to you know we went all to the same school and we even when we were there you know we sought each other out every day and i i'm very very close to my sisters my mother had a twin and she was extremely close to her and I think, and she um, died in the pandemic, um, but she, it was, they had such a close bond and I think we always saw that. And so it was, it was sort of modeled for us. I mean, they would speak on the phone about five times a day. Oh my God. Yeah. They were completely devoted to each other. Oh, that's crazy. And they were, yeah. I mean, I, I'm so sad for my mother that she's gone. It's just, it's just, it's, we, I think it's very difficult to understand that twin bond. I realized that as, as my aunt was dying and then, and in the aftermath of it, I realized that I, I just simply couldn't and it wasn't the same even. Do you think your sisters being at boarding school at the same time that will have changed your experience of it? Really, I mean, I I loved it because it was living with your best friends, and it was just so funny, you know. And all the fun bits of school were the bits that weren't actually the lessons, which was just all the being together. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I know it's unfashionable, um, but it, it was it was such fun. Although you know, we were so naughty, so naughty. It was just war all the time. But. <laughs> teachers but it was brilliant fun you know do you know what I'm doing Sam some girls have organized it my year at school is going camping glamping you know in a year thing in May 2024 and so immediately like you know 50 places were taken and we're all going I mean can you believe it I can't even imagine we're going to be 50. I was going to say is that your 50th yeah 50th I think they organized it then because um they thought you know, even if you do it a year in advance, people say, well, I can't, I've got this thing, you know. And so we're all going, I, I am absolutely dying for it. I'm so excited, even though it's basically two years away. I think it will be hilarious. Oh my God, that is my idea of hell. I know a lot of people, I know. I mean, hopefully it won't like slip over into recriminations on night two, but <laughs> you know. everything's copy. Marie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know like grievances nursed for at least 32 years, but I'm really excited about it. Someone said, the person who's organised like, well, we need to talk about what we need to do for entertainment. I was like, entertainment, we're just going to talk. It's fine. Yeah. Talk and drink tequila. Yeah. Fresh lime and soda, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the old adrenals, what are they? Okay. <laughs> need to got a couple of years to find that out. I'll be fine. All right, I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask. Please. What's your emotional age? Oh, I don't know what that is. I'm 48, which is my actual age. I don't, is that how old you feel? No, I don't care about things like that. I, I just, I never think of it. And every year is my favourite year when it happens. So I'm a forward look. Oh, that's really interesting. Have you always been like that? Yeah, I think so. My husband's so nostalgic. It's hilarious. We, it's like he's practically got a presidential library and all our covers, all these little things for me. So it's like, my God, I just, you know, throw away and move on. But you're the one who's going on the mega school glamping reunion. Yeah, I know. Yes, I know. I know. But I'll, I'll enjoy that. It will be now. It'll be different. It'll be amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Next year is always the best year. Were you always that person? Yes, I think so. 
Yeah. Any idea where that comes from? No, not really. I I suppose I'm, I was always looking forward to things. You know, I'm an optimist. You may not get it from the writing. <laughs> Let's face it, it's my not... My subject matter, what am I to do with it, Sam? <laughs> my, but, you know, given my subject matter, I'm surprisingly, I'm quite an optimist. <laughs> In my personal life, anyway. Uh, give us a book recommendation. I'll tell you what I'm obsessed with reading about, and I have been for a long time, and I'm going to give you a really weird book that you're going to think, why am I doing this? I read a huge amount about Hollywood, particularly old Hollywood and how Hollywood started. The first one was one that was recommended to me by Clive James, the first one that I really read that I thought, I, I'm obsessed with this now, and I probably read it about, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I now read just a huge amount. It's called An Empire of Their Own, How the Jews Invented Hollywood, and it's a, an extraordinary story of those kind of stories you can only really have in the 20th century, I think, where these people came from, I mean, really the poorest fur-trapping shtetls right in Ukraine, and they conjured this town out of the orange groves, and you know, you see this guy who I was, as the guy I was just sort of alluding to, this kind of first generation immigrant who used to be a fur trapper in Ukraine. And when he's, it's his 100th birthday, he's sitting in the Beverly Hills ballroom. I mean, a hotel which wouldn't exist without, without the case. He's been head of Paramount Studios. He, there's a sort of eight tier cake that's taller than me. You know, there's kind of Bob Evans, Jack Nicholson, they're all around him. And I just think that's such a sort of, and I'm fascinated by old Hollywood. So that was, that was a bit that started me off on a kind of reading tear that I will read as much around that subject. It's probably like the only subject I'm an expert on. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly. What advice would you give younger women? I would say that, as I've just said to you, just think it will get better and you, you know, take all steps to let, make yourself become less self-absorbed because in a way that's when and make space for other things to come in, I have found. But of course, you know, if you told me not to be so self-absorbed when I was 22, I'm sure I couldn't have managed it. But you let more in when you let yourself go a little. Quite a few times when we've been talking, you were talking about your lack of confidence when you were younger. Are there things that you wish younger you had done sooner? Yes, um, taken more professional risks, maybe not gone out so much in my 20s and early, <laughs> 20s and early 30s. I mean, not, not gone out, but not got, you know, sort of absolutely wasted or whatever. But um, maybe taken more more risks, professional risks, rather than, you know. Yeah. Anything <laughs> dangerous, girl, please. <laughs> Um, but professional risks, yes, I think I could have taken many more professional risks. But anyway, it all worked out in the end, and I hope I will continue to take more risks as I get older. Uh, who's your old bird role model? Oh, God, I've got so many. I mean, I love all those old sort of Lucille Ball when she was old, um, Nora Ephron, Joan Didion. I love all those women. Um, Joan Rivers, all the sort of writers and comedians. Um, I love them. Just anyone who kind of continues to grow old riskily and you know, in what might have once been viewed as disgracefully. Just anyone who just does things on their own terms. I'm particularly interested in people who sort of create themselves. I, you know, I've got an idea of what I'd like to be like. And, you know, someone like Catherine Moran, I always think is so interesting. And I was saying to her the other day, you know, you, you created yourself. You saw what you'd like to be. And she said, but I didn't see what I, you know, I had sort of vague ideas. And it takes a while to work out what you, the sort of person you'd like to be and the life you'd like to have. And it's often more gettable than you think. And I suppose that's what I links back to what I'm saying about taking more risks when you're younger. I love the idea of getting old riskily. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that's, I think that's the secret. It's energising and it keeps things unexpected. And, um, you know, you've got the confidence to take the risks. You must use the confidence for something because most people would say that there is an increased confidence. Yeah, totally. You stop minding about things. So you must use that for something because it probably take you on some quite interesting journeys. 
Uh, what's your superpower? I'm like Batman, Sam. I'm a costume vigilante. I would say getting up early in the morning. I get up, I'm at my desk at five. That's pretty Oh, cool. God, you're one of those. Yeah, I like that. But, but if you're not, I've been reading about all this sleep stuff recently. Like some people can work at night. I can't, you know, I can't do anything for you at eight o'clock at night. I can't do anything. I'd be absolutely hopeless. Something that would take me four hours at eight o'clock at night would take me five minutes at five in the morning. So I quite, you know. Did you train yourself? No, yeah. I'm naturally presumably like oh. I always like that. I never was able to work late or anything like that. I didn't, well, I mean, you know, if I have to do it, there's some debate or if I was a football match or whatever, then I, will, I can do it and you have the adrenaline and that really helps and that gets you through it. But in general, no, I'm not. But I also find to have done some work and gone for a run and done all those things before anybody gets up makes me more relaxed and open and less like, you know, I haven't got time for these conversations because <laughs> I feel like I've got on a bit. And I really like that quiet time. I really like that. I totally love the idea of that. And I'm really envious of those people who are like you at their desks at 5am or whatever. But I just can't train myself out of bed. I just wanted you to say, yes, I did this and it worked. It's something to do with, I don't know, now I'm going to, it's like adrenals. I'm going to talk about circadian rhythms. I've got no fucking clue what they are. But I think it might be something to do with something like, if it's not circadian rhythm, I'm apologizing to your listeners, but it's something like that. And if you don't have those, there are ways you can do it, apparently. I was reading this very interesting guy, and you can get those light boxes now. You know, people who say, oh, oh yeah. in the morning I need, the light boxes used to be incredibly expensive. In the morning, people say, I need five cups of coffee. I need to wake up slowly, and then I can work at about, you know, nine or whatever it is well that's a waste of time if you want to get started early they say put these things on for 15 minutes and it just drags your it, it fools your body and gets you started much quicker and you can get them on amazon now for you know probably different prices but i think like the best one is 70 pounds so it, it could be an investment i've got one of those alarm clocks because our flat's yeah. in the basement and we live in Scotland. So in the winter, there is literally five or six hours of daylight a day. Yeah. So that alarm clock did make quite a big difference. Well, it's that same in the, company in the that does those alarm clocks that do that is um, is the one that does the best light box. And I, I read this very interesting, quite long article with a, 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 a sort of sleep scientist who said that it's the best thing. It really drags your body into the day if you're one of those people who isn't a lark, as they, I think, even in science call them. Um, and how many fucks do you give? Oh, none, no, not really. I mean, about things like my family, obviously, massively, but in, you know, fewer every year. <laughs> fewer every year, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Do you think writing the uh, column has made you give less fucks? Um, I mean, throwing it out onto the internet and yeah. running. Yes, I mean, <laughs> but I'm quite guarded on the internet I don't argue on the internet that's a complete waste of time I mean don't waste your time that's the other thing also just don't argue on the internet you know that's another thing I would say to young people 80% of the best creative people I know um, in the creative industries are simply not on things like Twitter and Instagram they don't they think it's a waste of time it's a time suck and it wastes their life and I I have to say I really agree on things like that. And I think it's interesting. Those things that people used to say about the pram in the hallway being the M&E creativity and taking a book off you every, you know, well, I'm sorry, but I think spending your entire time arguing online is a complete waste of time. A complete <laughs> it will take projects and confidence off you all the time. And it's just a waste of time. Just make a rule with yourself that you won't do it. I think that's a good point to end. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sound wiser than it is if it goes right it does sound very wise and correct and do you know what i hadn't actually noticed but now you say you never answer back those people do you just let them let them roll no i yes but i've also never blocked or muted anybody i like to see it all 
Oh, God, do you look at it? If I'm not, I mean, there's too much of it to look at because there's too many people now. But, you know, I I don't block or mute people. I just, you know, what's that Aristophanes quote? To be insulted by you is to be garlanded with lilies. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you for your time. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much. Pleasure, and it's lovely to meet you. I loved finally. it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash the shift. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.